Hey, Dan, my wife is angry, but I don't want a J-O-B. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, welcome in. I hope you're having a wonderful week. Right here we are at the very end of another month. Flying by 2018. It's going to be 2019 in the blink of an eye. Well, this is the 48 Days Radio Show, where each week we take about 48 minutes to dive into some real-life questions. Questions about finding your passion, deciding what kind of life you want to live, and then finding or creating work that allows you to show up every day, knowing that you can do something meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. Boy, some of the questions today really need guidance in being able to make that happen. Well, you heard me open with one of the questions. Somebody says, my wife is angry because our income is so low, but I don't want to look for another job. Dan, I just retired from the military and I've lost my sense of purpose. How about this? I have lots of ideas and no focus. How can I settle into one idea? Or here, uh, Dan, I have a friend who's worth $250 million. He's willing to invest in any idea I have. What should I do? Well, what a cool place to be. What a cool opportunity to have. Well, our business partner today is Gusto, fairly new sponsor for the 48 Days Show. I'll be telling you more about them in just a second here. A quotation then, based on some things we're going to unpack today, comes from Bethany Rutledge. Now, Bethany is the author of a new book, Courage to Try. Now, I kind of slow down there because the try is T-R-I. Bethany is a triathlete, a daughter of my good friend and in my mastermind, uh, Kim Avery, but uh, courage to try, but talking about how you approach big goals, and how you get away from excuses and move towards something new. Anyway, this is a quotation from Bethany. I heard an interview with her this morning and it just stuck with me. Anytime I've experienced growth in my life, it's been a result of trying something new. You know, that's pretty simple. But it certainly makes sense. If you want your life to change, you have to try something new. You can't just continue doing things the way that you've been doing them. Things are going to stay the same. So that's what we're going to kind of park on as we move through this day. Now, I want to tell you about our business partner, Gusto. This relates to taking care of payroll and benefits. You know, if you're a small business and you got three or four employees, or if you've got 50 or 60, you know, that's just a challenging area to keep on top of. It's especially difficult for small business. I mean, you know, none of us have the time to become an expert in things like taxes and regulations. So Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and human resources easy for small business. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. Now, PC Mag. Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll system for small businesses. It saves you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes running their payroll once it's set up. So you can check it out. I mean, go to Google and you can check it out. But most small businesses don't have an HR expert and you don't need to use one. 
with Gusto. With great software, great service, you can focus on your business, not payroll and paperwork. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service for your team. So to check it out and also show your support for them being a business partner of us here Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and you get three months free once you're on your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash 48 days. Again, that's gusto, G-U-S-T-O dot com slash 48 days. Well, there's a couple of things I want to run by you here just as business information, not necessarily uh, we're we're going to get to good news in just a second as well. We've got some amazing story, perhaps the most favorite story I've ever shared in here in good news I've got coming up here in just a minute. But there's a couple things happening just in the workplace that I want us to keep abreast of. One is how facial recognition technology is exploding. Now, what that means is rather than using an ID card or a key, or some of the other ways that people have used to identify people coming into their business, facial recognition. Now this is where it gets interesting because this means not only can it recognize employees coming into a business, let's say that you have 50 people in your business, you can use facial recognition as their access. So instead of having to carry a key or have a card or something, they can just look at the camera. It recognizes them instantly and opens the door. So that's really common. We would expect that. But when you think about where this goes, it goes way beyond that. Retailers lose $48.9 billion to theft every year. Now, how do you think this facial recognition plays into that? They can see who's coming into their store. They can scan everybody walking into a store. And tell instantly, is this person suspicious? Is this person, you know, this is where it, golly, I mean, this really intrigues me because the facial recognition, even if it is just for working for a company, I mean, they can tell what kind of a mood you're in. If you're likely to upset other employees. I mean, there's so many things with sophisticated technology today that can be assessed from facial recognition. So there's kind of a, it's one of those things where, you know, technology, there's good news and bad news. I mean, the good news is it has all kinds of features that can make things easier. And the bad news is, is it an overreach by being so invasive in knowing that, I mean, it can tell, gee, you were in Macy's. Uh, Oh, you were in Walmart 20 minutes ago. So apparently you're looking for something here that you couldn't find there. I mean, the, 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 scope of where this can go is uh, pretty interesting. We'll we'll keep watching that as artificial intelligence increases. It's going to have more and more um, introduction, I won't say invasion into, but introduction into all of our workplaces, no matter where it is. I mean, you walk into McDonald's and they can know instantly who you are, if they have this kind of technology, who you are, what you ordered the last time. I mean, that that could be kind of cool, but it can also be seen as being a little uh, over the top. Maybe you don't want them to know who you're having lunch with today. Well, you, know, you, you don't want them to know that you're meeting with the recruiter from the company down the street. 
if in fact you don't want to jeopardize your current workplace. Well, there's a lot of implications of that. Well, here's another quick note, and then we're going to go to some good news. But Casper, now this is the thing, mattress firm built an empire of 3,600 stores. So they had stores everywhere, mattress firm. They're filing bankruptcy. Casper, who you hear me promote here, they're one of our 48 day sponsors, Casper Mattress. They are opening 200 new retail stores over the next three years. Now, how does this make sense? That somebody in the same industry is filing bankruptcy and somebody else is opening stores aggressively. Well, it's a different kind of store. With Mattress Firm, I'll just give you a synopsis here. With Mattress Firm, you walk in, you look at 10 different mattresses, and then because of size differences and firmness differences and all that, you know, they have a warehouse in the back, you know, with a thousand mattresses. So you can then choose your mattress, you know, put it on top of your car and drive home. Well, you know, there's some things about that that are different with Casper and Casper, they're stores are not going to be like that. You don't walk in and then they have a warehouse. No, they can have a very small store where they can have four different mattresses where you can experiment with the firmness and you say, yes, we want this one, but we want it in a, in a queen, not a king. Boom, it's ordered instantly and delivered to your house the next day. Now, obviously, that's a big advantage. You don't have to strap it on top of your car. They will deliver it. But it also is to their advantage in that they don't have a store that has 20,000 square feet of warehouse space to store every mattress possible. No, the, the stores they have are simply a showcase. So they're opening these up inside of other major retail stores. But it's been so successful that they are now opening up. I mean, they they are doing partnerships with places like Target and Nordstrom, but now they're opening up their own stores. But I, I want to share that. I don't expect any of you to be in the mattress business, but I do expect a lot of you to understand the different model Casper is using in an industry that is really struggling, but they came in with a new innovative idea doing it differently. I love that kind of thing. Well, let's go to some good news. This is sent to me by our listener, Roger Benj. Thanks for that tip. Teacher took buses to work, so students' parents bought her a car. Now, this is just recently. This is in Alabama. Woman discovered that her children's teacher had been taking multiple buses to get to school, so she decided to pay it forward. Courtney Adelaide had already established a reputation on social media for being a good Samaritan. Uh, when my husband told me the teacher who's been teaching my girls for the last few years has been catching multiple buses to get to and from everyday work in the hot sun and cold. He said, we ought to give her something. And I said, Hey, say no more. So she posted, did a little video showing her daughter presenting her teacher with a brand new car tied to a blue ribbon. Well, are you serious? The teacher asked repeatedly in disbelief, choking back tears of joy, obviously. And Adelaide, the lady says, we don't want you to have to catch the bus. Well, the lady who gave it has a million-dollar hair company called The Main Choice, M-A-N-E, and uh, she's been doing this a lot. But isn't that a, a neat piece? Give a teacher a car. Teachers don't get big salaries, as we know, but do a lot of good in teaching their kids. Gave her a car so she wouldn't have to catch buses to get there. Now, here's another related to school. 
mean, there are a lot of people who are supporting our educators out there. We know it's a challenging model and things are changing and rightfully so. But in the meantime, we continue to to help teachers, encourage them. Here, this was in a Kentucky school district. An anonymous woman gave $100 to every teacher in her district so they could buy school supplies. She just called school, told them that she was going to do this. She gave a $100 bill to every teacher. So when they showed up for school earlier this week, they were surprised to learn that somebody had given them all cash donations to buy school supplies. We know that a lot of teachers dig into their own pockets because there's not enough budgeted for just the simple supplies that they want their students to have. Now, in this case, there were 143 teachers in a school district. So the donation totaled $14,300. And obviously the school board was blown away by the compassionate gesture. So just a way to thank the teachers. She, the donor said, I just want to show something to do something to show teachers that there are people out there that have their back and support them in what they do every day for their students. And we want to recognize them. So because they give so much more than what they're compensated for. All right. Well, let me go. I want to one more good news story here. This is absolutely, I love, love, love this story. And you can check this out. There's a video. I wish I could share the video. I watched the video that goes with this, but here's a guy who knocked on doors so he could ask people for advice on amassing wealth. And then a door opened. Now think back to our quotation for today that I just shared a minute ago. Our quotation for today said, anytime I've experienced growth in my life, it's been a result of trying something new. Try something new. How complicated? That's not complicated. I mean, as an author, I know that 95% of authors in America never make more than $40,000 a year. Is that discouraging to me? Because I want to, you know, I, I guess you could say, why don't I choose something more profitable? But that's where my passion is. But the counterpart to that then is simply, if I'm not very happy about $40,000 a year, all I have to do is figure out what do I have to do to put myself into the 5%? I can just look at what authors typically do and decide I'm going to do something different and try new things. And that's served me quite well over the years. So here's a young man, he's 19 years old. He knocked on doors to ask how people amass their wealth. Now this is in England. So, when Reggie wanted new opportunities, he literally went knocking on people's doors until one opened for him. Reggie Nelson wanted to stand out among the crowd, take charge of his own life, so he came up with the perfect strategy. He went to the wealthiest neighborhood in London, knocked on the doors, and asked the occupants for advice and tips on how they amassed their wealth. Now, here's exactly what he said. I watched the video, so and I stopped it periodically so I could capture what he said because it's so simple and yet so profound. So this is what 19 year old young African-American kid says. My name is Reggie. I'm from East London. I came to Kensington because I researched that this is the wealthiest area in the, in England. And I just wanted to know what skills and qualities you have had that have allowed you to live in an area like this. So I can extrapolate that and use it for myself. Boom, two sentences. 
I want to know what skills and qualities you have that have allowed you to live in an area like this so I can extrapolate that and use it for myself. Now, how disarming is that? I mean, are people going to slam the door and say, you know, don't waste my time? No. See, here's the thing. People who are extremely successful tend to be extremely generous with their time and resources and advice. And that's what he found. So he knocked on a door. A lady answered the door. She invited him in because of his question. In strolls a guy who happens to be her husband, and it happened to be the home of Quentin Price, the head of Alpha Strategies at the BlackRock Equity Firm. Well, this guy was so struck by the young man's initiative and motivation, he invited him inside, sat down, and as a result of a short conversation, offered to mentor him at the firm. So the next day, this young guy showed up. He showed up like an hour early. There was nobody else there. And he also realized very quickly he was the youngest person on the property. But he just showed up for two weeks to learn from this guy who offered to show him how he had amassed wealth. Well, then they happened to have a program going where they were bringing in internships. They had over 9,000 applicants for the position. Only 115 got in, but because of the initiative he had taken and already having a relationship with the owner of the company, out of the 115, incidentally, only three of them were black. He was one of them. Since that happened, the owner of the company encouraged him and helped him graduate from Kensington University. He has climbed the corporate ladder very, very well. He now is giving lectures on how young people can get into the financial sector. I love stories like that. But the key is he simply did something so simple, cost absolutely nothing, but just did something innovative to connect himself with people that absolutely opened the door, were more than happy to do so, to mentor and guide this young guy into what is now a very successful career of his own. All right, we're going to go to something now. I've been out for a couple of weeks, so the accumulation of questions was pretty overwhelming. I'm going to read one. Now, in the things that we try to deal with here on the 48 Days Radio Show, we don't want things that have clear solutions. We can walk pe people right through. I realize there's a lot of hurting people out there, and I don't pretend to have simple answers for some of the questions that come in. But I want to encourage people to find resources so they do not stay stuck. Now, here's an example. And this is one that certainly requires more than a two-minute response on a podcast. Tracy says, hi, Dan. As a young child growing up, I felt rejected, abandoned, unloved, crushed in spirit. I was made to feel like an outcast. I'm 46 years old now, and I still feel like this. I cry frequently. On medications from a psychiatrist, but it just makes it worse. I've quoted scripture and Old Testament, New Testament people in the past, but there are still people who call me evil names. I've forgiven them. I think I need a spiritual advisor. I thought you sent me a book or DVD and CD. My pastor won't help me. The state rejects me. My family uses me. And yet I'm kind to everyone I need. Everyone. I need guidance in my life. I want to preach the truth of the Word of God and start a Christian small business selling every Christian product imaginable, even 
I'm even creating my own invention. Can you please help me? If you don't, here's my contact number. Thank you and God bless you. Well, Tracy, I, I, I so appreciate you reaching out and it breaks my heart to hear your story. I don't have a simple verbal solution for that. I want you to reach out to resources. I can't tell from your number where you're from, but I know that I did a quick research, just a quick search right here in Nashville for free counseling services. You need a counselor to work with you. You don't just need a coach to help you come up with a good business idea. That's not the place to start at all. You need a counselor to help you work through the spiritual formations, the kind of negative messages that you're hearing and probably amplifying in how you're telling them to yourself. You need to really start with that. And that's very doable. I mean, the positive thing is, in as much as it sounds so negative, you can start today to walk out of that. But you need somebody to guide you through that. You're right in you need a spiritual director or some kind of a counselor. But like here in Nashville, we have, I, I did a, a quick search and there's tons of places ready and waiting for you to just walk in the door and somebody can help you. We have the Hope Clinic for Women here in Nashville. Wonderful resource. People eager to help you walk through this. Don't try to do this on your own. I mean, that, that's one of the fallacies. People, you know, sometimes people in um, needing a coach think, well, that's a sign of weakness. You know, I don't want to get a coach. That's just for somebody who's already at the top of the game for professionals. My goodness, that's not true. I've sought out coaching and counseling at every step of my journey. I mean, today I have coaches that help me in areas where I want to learn how to be better. But please, 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 Tracy, reach out. There are resources that can help you to work on your personal issues before you get to the career kind of things that can help you then achieve another level of success. Okay, uh, okay, I got I had I had a, a couple that I pulled today who please ask for anonymity, and that's okay. That that's okay because the situations that I pull um, fit a lot of you listening, a lot of us who are dealing with the same kind of things. So he says, this listener says, we'll we'll call him Bob. So Bob says, I've been studying the subject of investing and trading stocks and options for about nine years. But until recently, I've just been sitting on the sidelines, learning but not applying. Finally, a few months ago, I said, enough is enough. I opened a small brokerage account and began trading and investing. I'm loving it. It really suits my personality, tendencies, values, dreams, and passions. And I'm optimistic that with continued practice, I'll be able to build sufficient skill talent. I'm an itinerant elementary music teacher in the public schools. This doesn't suit my very SC personality. It absolutely drains me, but I keep doing it now because it provides a stable income for my family. I've had three jobs with the school system over the last 11 years. And while this one is certainly not as tough as the last one I had, I feel like I can't be content with any public school teaching job. So I want to move away from this. I'm trying to focus on what I want to move toward. I'd love to spend your recommended 15 hours a week, a side hustle, working on my trading and investing, and then be able to build that and take over as primary income. Hey, I love that, Bob. I love that. I mean, if you're knowledgeable about that, I mean, that's the thing. You don't just stick your toe in the water, just piddle around with investing. You can lose your investment, whatever that is, very, very quickly. So it's something to be very, very 
methodical. This is not something that I would ever touch for me. Investing, trading stocks and options or commodities online, you know, and hoping to make actual cash flow from that. Wow. I mean, that is so far out of my skill set. I would never invest $10 in doing that. So if you understand it, if you've researched it, if you really know how to do that well, and there's infinite amount of information out there, sure, you can do that. I mean, that's not unreasonable. So become very knowledgeable. Don't spend all your time just accumulating knowledge in the 15 hours a week. You know, a lot of times what people do is spend 15 hours just going to workshops and seminars and conferences or listening to podcasts or reading books. No, all you do, knowledge doesn't do anything to change where you are. So be investing, be experimenting, be spending time, perhaps mentoring with somebody who is already experienced in this area. Ask for their advice. Just like the young man I just talked about, find people who are already excelling in this area, pick their brain, take them to lunch and learn and then move into that. But keep clear in mind the goal that you have to make this your full-time thing. Certainly something a lot of people are doing. This comes from Dan, who says, Dan, 20 years ago, after completing my bachelor's degree and working a couple jobs that brought me no fulfillment, my wife and I, through a series of events, became convinced God was leading me to join the military. This was a major leap of faith, as I had no experience with the military at all. Fast forward to October 31st, 2018, when I will be retiring from a 20-year career. Purpose was now, here's where it gets interesting. Dan says, purpose was never a problem while serving in the military. Knowing that you're serving something greater than yourself, protecting the guy next to you makes that pretty easy. I'm excited about the prospect of a new chapter in my life, but I'm at a loss for what path to take. I've been listening to your podcast and just listened to episode 624 to make money do something meaningless. I know God has a new purpose for me. I just knew, wish I knew what it was. I love the three-legged stool of passion, talent, and money. I feel like I've devoted so much of my life to the military that I've never identified what my true passions really are. I'm taking steps to seek this out. I'm listening to self-development podcasts like yours, Zig Ziglar, that your son Kevin hosts, and others. I've been doing the two chairs exercise every morning for the past couple weeks that I learned about in the Ziglar podcast. I just received a copy of The Magic of Thinking Big in the mail today per your recommendation. I write all this to say that the career I am leaving was meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. And the thought of finding something new is frankly scary. Thanks for all you do. I'd welcome any feedback or advice. Now, I got another one here, and then I'll comment on this. Got a note from Lin Yu from Beijing, China. It says, Dan, in fact, I still do not know what purpose of God is the purpose of God in me. Although I think it hard, I need your help. I strongly want to know the purpose of God in my life. Well, a lot of you are struggling with that. What is the purpose? This is where I want you to understand the distinctions among the terms vocation, career, and job. What is the big picture of what you want to be remembered for, what you want to accomplish? I mean, to do this, you really need to write a mission statement. This is not, I mean, you can do this in 30 minutes, uh, I'd, say, I'd say this, you can do this very adequately in 30 minutes to two hours. Let's just go with that. You need a mission statement. I'll put a link in the show notes at the 48 Days podcast page today for, you, you can go and 
and open that up. Or you can just Google and search for a form, a template for your own mission statement. But I've got one that's pretty time tested and I'll put a link to that. But you need to do that. You need to start with that because that's a bigger picture than just what am I going to do? What you're going to do to generate income is a subset of your mission, purpose, and calling. You can have 10 different careers that fully embrace your mission and calling. I suspect that it's right there for you, Dan, that having been in the military and having felt like that is fulfilling, even though you aren't going to be you know, crawling on your belly under barbed wire, perhaps, or doing some of the things that you did in the military, there still is a larger purpose that made that meaningful for you. Go back and see if you can't identify what that is. If it's the idea of uh, protecting people or encouraging those around you. I mean, those are kind of the seeds of what it appears that you're saying. You got to be able to develop that into something meaningful. I mean, my mission statement is I help high potential individuals understand and apply their unique and most powerful talents and passions so they can make a larger impact, leave a legacy, and thrive financially. Now, I could have that same purpose statement if I were in the military, or if I'm a school teacher, or if I'm running a real estate business, or if I'm a coach, or if I'm an author. See, what I do as a career is a subset of that. But that's where you need to start. So start with that, and then you can get more clarity as to the possibilities of careers that allow you to live that out as you transition out of the military. Great question. Keith says, I'm 39, the father to five wonderful children. I've been married to my wife for 15 years. I actually love my work, but I want multiple revenue streams coming in so that I can hit some financial goals and fulfill other creative aspects of my personality. I lack focus. I'm into everything a little, but can't seem to zone in on and do one thing extremely well. How can I get passionate and laser intensive on doing one thing to build it up instead of bouncing all over the place. Great question. And you can do this. I mean, having a lot of ideas is a wonderful, wonderful place to start. I mean, that's so much better than not having any ideas. And believe it or not, I encounter people who say that they have no ideas. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. How can you open your eyes in the morning and not have three or four new ideas? Well, so having a lot of ideas is great. But what you want to do is then you want to filter those through what you know about yourself. I mean, that's a process that I lay out in 48 Days to the Work You Love. Know your skills and abilities, your personality tendencies, your values, dreams, and passions. That helps you create a filter by which you can then take a big list of ideas and run them through there. And there's only going to be three or four that come through as sticking. So go ahead and make a list of 20 ideas, but then filter them through what you know about yourself. Give yourself two weeks to do this. Narrow down to three or four ideas that really do fit. I mean, we may have well, one of the ideas is you could get a Subway franchise. Well, you're a father to five wonderful children. Guess what? A Subway franchise tends to be very profitable. When do you have to be there? Yeah, you better be there evenings and weekends when they have a surge in traffic. That's probably going to conflict with what you know about yourself. Being a father to five wonderful children, that's probably not going to make the cut, even though it may be a very profitable business and be a great 
idea for somebody else. It just doesn't fit you. So filter those ideas, your 20 ideas, through what you know about yourself. Narrow down to three or four. Do a little bit more research. Then choose one and move forward with that for a year. Don't second guess yourself or get distracted by another new idea that pops up. I mean, I've used that process for years and years. Where that that's why when people approach me at the end of August and say, Hey Dan, here's a cool idea, you know, let's do this. Nah, that's fine. You know, I wish you success in it. But I've already decided in advance what I'm gonna do, even if it's a wonderful idea. I just don't allow those distractions after I create a clear focus for a year. These are the things I'm gonna work on and not second guess myself. All right. Hey, I've got I, I there's a couple I, I really want to get to here. So I'm gonna move into those. Well, let let me do this. Okay, Greg says, I had a lunch with a guy who sold several companies recently and has a net worth of $250 million. He said, if I thought of any cool business ideas or opportunities, he'd be open to investing to get me started. Help, can you think of unique cool business opportunities these days that unlike an online business does require startup funding? That's really, wow, this is really a catch-22. Knowing you have access to money to start a business, should you use the money to start a business? That's really the question that you're asking. And you know I'm going to lean way on the side of saying, eh, even though it's available, probably not. Now, you know, if if you watch Shark Tank, I love watching that show. You'll see, you know, Mark Cuban and Mr. Wonderful and the others on there. But Mark Cuban is the first one to say, if you can figure out a way to, to run your business without having outside investment, you're way better off. You make all kinds of compromises in a business as soon as you accept outside funding of any kind. I would totally, I mean, what a privilege, what an honor, what a compliment to you to have somebody who's willing to invest but I don't know how it would make sense. I mean, I have a hard time figuring out. Now, here's what you want to do, Greg. You you want to continue to follow your passion. Don't just choose a business that requires money because you'll think it'll make money. Now, here's the deal, though. When we look at money required to start a business, it's easy to assume, well, my goodness, if I had a million dollars to start with, you know, that I could build a really profitable business. There's not that connection at all. We know that now, I I just got figures from Entrepreneur Magazine about this. 26% of businesses being started up right now don't require any capital at all. Zero capital. I'll give you a couple ideas here. 26%. 34% needed less than $5,000. 9% needed $5,000 to $10,000. So we've got what? There, 62% of all businesses being started require less than $10,000. Is that mind-blowing or what? Now we can go up from there. Only 1% of businesses being started today needed a million dollars or more. When I look at the things that I've done, let's just say that you decide, wow, you're in a town and they could use a new bowling alley. So you and your financial partner uh, spend $650,000 to open a bowling alley. That'd be kind of ballpark, I suppose, for doing that. And you run it well. 
and you see that it could create a profit of maybe $65,000 a year. Or you could take your own capital, invest $2,000, selling something on Amazon and do like my neighbor and make $200,000 profit this year. One of the most enjoyable parts of my business is something that I started about four years ago. I invested $1,000 to get the, just the initial things set up as I wanted to. After 30 days, I took my $1,000 back out. So it was a very temporary investment of $1,000. That business this year will generate me, projected right now, $180,000. A lot of you listening are members of the Eagles community. I mean, I'm pretty transparent about that. You can see what happens. I mean, you, you can see exactly what's going on. There again, I invested less than $1,000 to get that started. You know, Brian Dixon and I, you know, set up the website. We um, got a monthly or a uh, annual contract with Kajabi to run the back end. And I think that was like 830 bucks, as I remember. That was the big expense. So I invested that. We started the Eagles community. We now are at about 600 members. Uh, most of them now are paying $36. But let's say if, we, uh, if they're averaging $30 a month, that's $216,000 a year. Now here's, here's what's so appealing about that. There are no machines to break. There's no concern about employees not showing up or getting hurt on the job. There's no sign permits, no buildings to buy or leases to pay, no cost of goods. Oh my gosh. I mean, I don't know of any business that requires startup money that has those kind of benefits or those kind of profit margins. It's just challenging for me to get my head around the, 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 the businesses that require money. When I, when I drive around Franklin, Tennessee here and see businesses, I mean, the restaurants that open on a monthly basis is just mind blowing. What also is mind blowing are the number of restaurants closing. And I, every time I just cringe because I know there went somebody's dream. They borrowed, they invested two, $300,000 to get that up and running and it didn't work. And now the money's gone and they're deeply in debt. Wow. Those, those businesses just are not appealing to me. Even if the money is readily available. And if I had my own funds, that would be the last place I would want to invest it because there's so many ideas about things that you can do that don't require that kind of money. Now, that being said, Greg, if you're really itching to do something, with a ready investor, the most appealing thing to me would without question be real estate investing to find places, whether it's residential or commercial to find places that you can buy. I mean, whether it's to buy, fix up and flip or buy very reasonably. I mean, Kent Julian, you hear, I mean, we're, we're going to have him share with a group of mine this next week on how he has gotten involved in real estate investing, what that's led to in increasing his financial net worth. It's far surpassed the other things that he's doing that he does very well, like coaching and speaking. But the real estate investing has given him what our buddy Dave Ramsey would say, a big shovel. So there is that potential there. I mean, you could do 
an apartment complex with your fun, your friend investing and go in and rehab them and re uh, lease those out, you know, raise the rent. And you could all of a sudden, you know, have a hundred thousand dollars of equity in a place like that, that you could then put back in the market. I mean, there's some fun things you could do there. That would certainly be the area that I would go toward. Okay. I got another question here. I referenced this in the very beginning. I want to make sure that I get to it. All right, Dan. And again, we're going to leave the listener anonymous. He uh, writes to me often. I've answered lots of questions over the years. He says, I'm in a terrible place right now. I've lost two jobs in less than a year, fired both times. I take full responsibility for both situations. My wife is angry so much so that I fear divorce is growing near by the day because throughout our 14 year marriage, our jobs have changed multiple times and our income has never been consistent nor higher than $43,000 a year between the two of us. In truth, I cannot fully blame myself for the 14 years because although she's angry and she feels like she blames me for all 14 years, I do emphasize what I said above that our incomes have been low and have fluctuated near times. I don't want to look for another J-O-B since I've lost two in less than a year. I'm 40 years old and in truth, I've never done well with authority and rules. Also, we have four children who get sick and miss a lot of school, which means one of us must miss work. Now, I'm going to drop down here. Don't get me wrong. I want for both of us to be working. I know it sounds to some people like I don't want a job or don't want to work, but that's absolutely not true. When I'm not working, I feel worthless. What I want and need is freedom. To achieve this, I've started passing out flyers for, for home services, and I'm currently delivering pizzas part-time. My wife just started a new job she loves for $37,000 a year in school social work. And she goes on, I'm not just delivering pizzas. But my wife is stuck on wanting me to get a full-time job with benefits. And she wants me to stay home with the two babies until that happens so we can save on babysitting fees. I've been looking some, but I tried to tell her I need to get out and meet people, network, do things face-to-face if I want to find a job or even build connections for the side business. Also, if I get another job, I don't want to get it, not just get another job doing whatever. I want it to be meaningful for me to be there every day. Sorry for a long message and I've left out lots of it. This is only dropping the bucket to what I could write, but what are your thoughts on all of this? Thanks for all you do. You've changed many lives. Well, I share this because I'm working with two young clients right now who are in very much similar positions where they're without jobs and both of them, their wives really feel like they need to get a job. Not to start some little side news, but to get a job. So this presents some unique challenges here. And I want to unpack this a little bit. For one thing, to start a side business, you need your spouse's support. You don't need a spouse who says, that's stupid, you can't do that. And in your situation here, let's just, we'll just call you John. John, in your situation that I described here, your wife is angry. She wants you to get another job. You know what my recommendation is? Get a job. I mean, today, get a job. That's the only option 
I would recommend you consider. For you to try to make a case with your struggling financial situation for something you're going to do on the side and you're going to build a little business idea, you've lost too much credibility, obviously. And to restore your marriage relationship, you need to just take action. This may not be your dream. It may not be exactly what you want to do, but I'm telling you it's the best option. 100%. I am confident. Your best option, get a job. Now, that being said, that doesn't have to be the end of the story. It can be a job you aren't thrilled with. Now, here's another thing that really concerns me. When you say that together, you've never made over $43,000 a year. Now, your wife just got a $37,000. Apparently, that's a big jump up because if you're making $43,000 together, that means you're only making like $10 an hour. Now, that is a challenge. In No More Dreaded Mondays, I have a section where I talk about why profits are better than wages. It's really difficult to get ahead significantly with wages. I know we have the illusion of security there. I talk to people every day who thought they were secure because they had a J-O-B. And then they discover, no, that was just an illusion. They aren't secure at all. They lost their job. I mean, ultimately, I believe so much more in profits. What should you do that would generate profit? Is there something you could buy low because you understand it and sell? I mean, could you, I mean, I I had a lady one time whose husband walked out on her, four small children. She had, her skills would have lined her up for maybe a $12 an hour job. And I said, don't do that. Go down to Walmart, buy a bucket and a squeegee. And I want you to go up and down the storefronts right there where you live and wash windows. She did that. She did it extremely well. She discovered she could make 50 to $60 an hour doing that. Have a couple of her kids come along with her. She had a lot of flexibility in her time commitments. She did that for four months. And then she moved into a very successful real estate career. Great story. I'll unpack that sometime. But your situation Right now, John, yeah, get a job. That You have got to do that as the first step. Get a job. Get out there and do that. Knowing that ultimately, yeah, you can develop your little side business. But get a job and then spend 15 hours a week developing something that you're doing on the side. Now, let me go through real quick, and I'm going to wrap up with this. We're just about out of time here. The way that people become extremely wealthy. Here's a breakdown of what millionaires in our country, what, it, what they consist of. 74% are business owners. 74% are business owners. 10% are senior executives. These are people that have, yeah, they got a job. But they're in high-level positions, 10%. These doctors, lawyers, other professionals, people like that, those are 10%. So people with significant academic degrees. Salespeople and consultants, 5%. You know, when we talk about stockbrokers, investors, inventors, actors, directors, songwriters, authors, athletes, that entire group comprises less than 1% of people who end up extremely wealthy. I mean, I'm a big believer in having your own business. Call it what you may. It it needs to be something that fits you, that matches your passion. 74% of millionaires in America own a small business. 
it so outweighs anything else. It's astounding. Well, John, I'm going to send you a couple of resources to kind of help you break the log jam here. But again, my recommendation is get a job. This is a two-step process. You're not in a position to start something innovative on the side. Get a job. But that's just the number one thing. Then you show responsibility at doing that. Then you can start building something. When you replicate your income, and if you're doing something at 10, 12 bucks an hour, golly, it shouldn't be real challenging to come up with something you can do on a side that's going to replicate that in monthly income. I mean, an idea where once put into place, you spend five hours a week and it matches the income you're making in a $12 an hour job. I mean, my goodness. I mean, surely there are ideas in No More Dreaded Mondays, Wisdom Meets Passion, 48 Days to the Work You Love, that ought to be able to stimulate that. I mean, we got other things. We got, if you're in the Eagles group, we got free resources in there. The 48 Lower No-Cost Business Ideas. I link from that to another 1,000 ideas for things you can do. So yes, I want you to be doing that, but not only that. Start by showing your responsibility at getting a J-O-B. Well, thanks for being part of this growing community. This is exciting every week to unpack where we all know that we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.